This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. It's Fun Friday. My name is Jeff Sandu. We're celebrating a birthday this week. Nope, it's not mine or it's not Matt's, nor is it BFM's. Actually, on the 4th of February, on Monday, Facebook turned 15 years old. And today, MSP takes a look at the impact of that legacy. Hang on a minute here, Matt. It says here that today's show is a space opera. Are you going to be singing? Hey, Jeff. Well, you know how most musicals have like two parts? They have that speaky part and then they have that singing part. So I thought I'd do the speaky part and you could sing the questions. You know, I'm not singing. But I've told the listeners it's a space opera. They're expecting this to be like Mamma Mia or We Will Rock You. I mean, I've got CO2 cannons. I've got pyrotechnics. There's everything here. <laughs> Rich was going to run through the studio in one of those flame suits screaming. It was going to be legendary. Hey, my contract says I have to sit in this studio with you. It doesn't say anything about singing. Does it say you can't sing? <laughs> it doesn't tell me if I should or shouldn't kick you under the table. There are some things that you would assume not singing is one of them. Okay, I've got to be honest, I'm pretty disappointed. It's not my name on the show's title. Okay, then I'm just going to have to apologise to the listeners. Uh, they'll have to go through another show about social media without <laughs> the benefit of uplifting bursts of song. You're going to edit all of this out, right? I'll do what's best for the show, don't worry. Okay, so we do the intro again? Yeah, I'll sort that out in the edit, don't worry about it. Uh, do you want to say anything to our listeners celebrating the Lunar New Year? Uh, not really. Um, how many people are celebrating? It's a couple of billion, right? Something like mm, that. Something. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to be a bit ruthless with my time this year. So anything less than five billion, it's not really <laughs> worth my time. I mean, I actually turned down a co-headliner with the Pope last week. Mm, why don't you tell us about Facebook then? Uh, it feels really weird to be saying that Facebook is only 15. Um, it does feel like it's been around for so much mm. longer than that. Um, like most people... Uh, I wish we could stop talking about the company, but, you know, it's birthday week. Um, so today we're going to have a look at some of that impact uh, for good and for bad. And if we have time, speculate about what the future might hold for the company. For some of our listeners, those 15 years will literally be most, if not all, of their lives. Yeah, it's always weird to think that there are people who never knew a world without Facebook. Mm. So listeners like Josh, my friend Sam Singh's son. Uh, that's something I always have on my mind when I'm doing talks and conferences. I have to remember that my sense of objective reality about these companies comes from a different perspective. I'm so old that for me, 15 years is pretty much just the gap between breakfast and lunch. You are oral. I can still make you sing. And future <laughs> Matt is still going to kill your descendants. So, you know, whose life is a waste? Facebook's. Yeah, OK, sometimes I forget we are actually doing a show. Um, in case you've been sleeping for the past 15 years, um, in which case I want your job, um, Facebook is the social media network that has become one of the world's largest and most powerful companies. Its success has transformed its scion, Mark Zuckerberg, from a humble geek into the kind of person who can idly toy with running for US president and fund it all himself. When we go back to the start, do you think anyone could have imagined what Facebook would become? Well, there's roughly 7 billion people on the planet, so I guess there's at least a 1 in 7 billion chance that somebody would have come up with this as a theory. Um, certainly, 
even when Facebook launched to kind of the wider public, I don't think that would have been a mainstream view. Uh, if anything, it was seen as a more progressive version of social networks that many of us were already using, like MySpace or Friendster, things like Friends Reunited. What set it apart from those other networks? Why do you think it expanded so fast? Well, don't forget that the service didn't have grand aims, at least not at first. It was conceived to connect students on the Harvard campus, and it was a runaway success. And you can read plenty of books or watch movies about those early days, um, the missteps and the intrigues. So much has been written, performed and broadcast. It's redundant to kind of go over it here. Could that apparent lack of focus have contributed to its success? Well, I think one of the greatest things about the network, especially in those early years, was that lack of uh, definition. So MySpace was purchased by News Corp, and the company tried to guide its development. Facebook was the opposite. It let its users guide the development. You know, you want to share pictures? Sure, we can let you do that. Have a video to post? Okay, we'll write you some code. Do you want social gaming? Sure. Here's a game about farms. Mm, that was very popular. In a way, it was doing the opposite of Apple and its do-less-but-better approach. Yeah, I mean, Facebook was happy to experiment and throw away features that didn't work, apart from Messenger, of course, which <laughs> everyone has wanted them to throw away since day one. But a lot of those early features felt very beta, uh, and it's kept a healthy element of that approach. It still releases new features in batches. It tries them out on different markets and user bases before it decides to roll them out universally. How crucial do you think that approach has been to its growth? Look at Twitter by comparison. Twitter's genius was, and still is, its brevity. So whether you like or loathe him, Trump, his brain and his little hands are perfectly <laughs> suited to Twitter. He really is very good at using it. But that brevity is also a box when you compare it to what Facebook has become. So what makes you great at that one thing can put a straitjacket on your development. Whereas Facebook was much more of an open platform? Well, I think one of the things that really set it apart, again, in those early days especially, was that it was willing to do whatever it took to attract and retain users. Uh, I think, what is it they call it? White space development. Mm. So the company is very good, not necessarily at judging the mood of the herd, but in testing and gauging which services resonate and which to retain. And because everyone you know is using it too. Absolutely. Um, look at the social media platforms that have tried to challenge Facebook since it was launched. You know, whenever there's a big shock in Facebook's ecosystem, whether it's a data breach or fake news, you'll get some service popping up as an alternative, like uh, LO uh, from yeah. a few years mm. back. Yeah. And they do okay for a while because the doubters and the dissenters adopt the new service. But that critical mass of people isn't following them, so people start to drift back. As people say, the more invested you are in the service, the less likely you are to leave it. Yeah, so even with all the uh, the stuff going on right now, all the fake news nonsense, um, and of course there was even that ditch Facebook hashtag yeah. campaign last year, we're still not seeing this massive desertion from the service. So I was on another BFM show last year with a guest who says he photographs and uploads all of his receipts to Facebook <laughs> as a way of preserving them um, for his accounting purposes. So there are, there are all these little quirks and habits that we've built into the way that we use it, and that makes Facebook very sticky. So no matter how annoyed we are with the company, we don't actually want to abandon those profiles. But now that growth rate is slowing. 
Well, which is the biggest issue they're facing, uh, much more so, I think, than fake news or congressional oversight. There's a generation of people that have no affinity to the service and no real reason to join. You know, they have as many old people like you and me as they can possibly recruit. They can continue to milk us, but, you know, they already know someone like me. Mm. As a data source, my milk is already curdled. <laughs> they need younger users. Their data is more important and less predictable than mine is. All right, before we go into the break, let's mark out some of the company's biggest milestones then. For sure. I mean, it's easy to make this a character assassination. And yes, there will be plenty more negative stuff after the break. <laughs> but let's not forget that Facebook has been an incredibly important presence in our lives in and out of those last two decades. It doesn't matter whether you view it in isolation or as part of a broader technological trend. That whiteboard approach to its development meant the service could progress as trends and technologies changed. If you get faster bandwidth, okay, you add video. Secure payment gateways, sure, make it possible for small businesses to advertise with nothing more than a credit card. So you're saying that the company is like a magpie? Pretty much. It was able to look at all the things that were happening on the wider internet and incorporate chosen things into their closed ecosystem. And it's done that much more effectively than Google, which, of course, is about to shutter its own social network, mm. or Apple or Microsoft, Yahoo, Flickr. So whether it's news or search, advertising, apps, storage, messaging or file sharing, the company has been very good at cherry picking the best bits of what its competitors do and integrating them into its own platform. And doing it seamlessly. Yeah, because, uh, you know, we can't forget those astonishing numbers. Two billion users or thereabouts, you know, that is an amazing feat in and of itself. But think of all the different platforms and legacy systems those users are logging on from. To deliver a consistent service is an incredible achievement. It's easy to take that for granted, but most services and companies can only dream of achieving that level of interoperability. And it takes persistence, it takes innovation and a colossal amount of investment to achieve and maintain that. Why is that such a big deal? Well, think about all the apps sitting on your phone. How many of those apps have a desktop equivalent that will work on a Mac or an Android phone or a Windows machine? Think about how frustrating it still is to use Office or Google Docs from machine to machine as you move. Then compare those experiences to Facebook. Wherever you access Facebook from, Facebook is Facebook. You can simply pick it up and run with it without having to worry about what system that it's actually running on. All right, we'll go for a short break. We're celebrating Facebook birthday. We're talking about how Facebook has changed the world. It's a space opera, but I'm not singing. We'll be right back. BFM 89.9. Brave Free Malaysia. BFM 89.9. The Business Station. And we're back. It's Fun Friday. My name is Jeff Sandu together with Culture Pop's Matt Armitage. Before the break, we were talking about some of the milestones, the good and the bad, that Facebook has piled up over the last 15 years. Mark Zuckerberg published a post on February the 4th outlining some of the successes that he thought the company had achieved over the last 15 years. Matt, what's your take on that? Well, he's published a couple of contentious thought pieces over the past mm. uh, couple of weeks. So, as you said earlier this week, he laid out his take on the company's first 15 years. He also published a very strange op-ed in the Wall Street Journal in late January, outlining the company's strategy to protect the rights and privacy of its users. In the anniversary post, there was a lot of blah, blah, blah about <laughs> Facebook making the world more progressive and speeding up interaction. 
for which he's been widely derided for conflating Facebook with the internet in general. Mm. In fact, his entire post would have been more apt if it celebrated the anniversary of Google rather than Facebook. What would you have preferred him to talk about, though, then? Well, that astonishing user base, for one thing, and the company's profitability. Mm. You know, at least those facts are honest rather than self-serving. You know, it's easy to forget that Facebook's IPO in 2012 was widely seen as a failure. Yeah. A lot of people looking to flip shares and make a quick buck got their fingers well and truly singed when the stock dipped below its list price. But if you'd held on to those shares for the last sort of five, uh, six or seven years, you'd be whistling victorious right now. Is that because of mobile? Absolutely. I mean, that's one of the biggest things, I think. If the development of the net had gone along a different path, I do wonder whether Facebook would have become so successful. Mobile took a platform that we were already pretty obsessed with and made our interactions with it instant. It made them malleable. At the same time, Facebook got hyper-aggressive with the ads and also with the tracking. Those cookies from the site that would follow you around the web. Yeah, I mean, that was one of the early indications we had in terms of how insidious data gathering and tracking uh, by not just Facebook, lots of mm. tech firms would actually become. Uh, there were also the bigger, more frequent and far more prominent ads and sponsored content. More importantly, I think, was that intersection of uh, targeting, tracking and closed walls. Ads became, theoretically at least, more relevant and targeted. And that brought a lot more advertisers into the platform. And that's where we started to see Facebook's profits really soaring. Because for advertisers, the platform suddenly went from being this ocean that they occasionally chucked a stone mm. into to a series of, you know, very well-stocked ponds, basically ready to eat their message. Let's head back to that Wall Street Journal op-ed. You mentioned it was a bit weird. Well, yeah, it was sort of billed as Mark Zuckerberg trying to define Facebook's business model and reassure the world that everything that happens on the platform happens in the light. And even in that, it kind of backfired. Um, firstly, it's an odd location for openness. The Wall Street Journal has one of the most restrictive paywalls on the net. In fact, I had to come and use BFM's access to the site <laughs> because I wanted to read the source text and not rely on summaries from other news sites. So you write that you want to put people's minds at rest, but you do it in a place where 99% of your users don't have access to that information. And weirdly, it's a location where most of your institutional investors and largest advertisers are likely to be subscribers and are happy to applaud your selective transparency. There was a good take on it from the Electronic Freedom Foundation. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because too often we reference new sites and it's easy for people to jump in and say, well, this site pushes that view mm, mm. or that particular bias. And to be sure, the EFF is partisan in that it pushes the view of transparency and access on the internet. But it's not politically partisan. It just relies on those things that no one likes anymore, which are facts. What do people seem to have taken exception to? Well, for example, um, I think it's a stretch for Mark Zuckerberg to say that most people prefer targeted ads. Mm. Um, we prefer no ads. Uh, I think for most people, ads are irrelevant. Um, and there are questions about how accurate the conclusions of the information Facebook has on you actually are. Can we check that information? Yeah, you can uh, click on the drop down of any ad in your feed. You'll see a little uh, why am I seeing this section in that box. You click on that and the next pop up you'll see says manage my ad preferences. Uh, that's a few clicks buried though. 
Is it? Oh, I can't imagine why they would do that. Um, it's, it's the same story with the permissions we give Facebook to let them harvest this data and send, uh, and send us ads. Yes, we have given them permission, but equally those terms and conditions could ban us from eating lasagna on Friday or even that we've agreed to Friday being renamed Zook Day. <laughs> and you also allege that Facebook doesn't sell your data. And again, that's very true. There's no corner store where you can rock up and ask for a Jeff Sandu sub with some personal habits and a side of ranch dressing. But it does monetize your data because it has to. We're not paying to use the platform, so somebody else is paying for it. And also he says that he's in favor of governments regulating the service. And again, that's perfectly true, but it's only part of the story. It's like when uh, you tell people that you like me. It's not untrue, but it's only part of the picture. It omits the part where you beat me up in the car park and slash my car tyres. I told you that wasn't me. The police said the CCTV footage was inconclusive. Yet you have the same hockey mask in your desk drawer. Wow, coincidence. And it's a similar story with Facebook. I mean, Mark Zuckerberg isn't attacking me in car parks, obviously, but that doesn't mean the company isn't lobbying for laws that are more favourable to its service. I think you wanted to end with an interview. You don't normally bring any guests onto MSP. Well, of course, we wanted to get Mark Zuckerberg on the line to chat with us today. Uh, of course, after the two of us fell out over Instagram and the cobalt mines, you know, that probably wasn't going to happen. What we did manage to get hold of was a Facebot, uh, an experimental AI called Little Mark. Hello, Little Mark. Welcome to MSP. Thank you for joining us today. This studio smells like butterscotch and feet. You must be very old. I'm guessing you still have a little bit of growing up to do. It uh, doesn't seem that anyone has programmed you with any manners yet. My daddy says I'm a big boy, but I won't grow up to be a manners. And there's still a bit of work to do on that logic chip. Now, what I wanted to know was what you think about privacy. I think privacy is very important. We've got very big fences around our estate. Daddy says it's very important to have a walled garden. I kind of meant more from the point of view of your users. Daddy says they have as much privacy as they need in the barn. It makes it easier to milk the data out of them. And your job is to milk that information out of them? Sure. I give them kitten videos and emojis and stickers. It's super fun. One day I'm going to star in my own show and everyone will spend all day watching me fly around at the speed of light. My daddy says that if you can make them watch videos about boring stuff like sewing and baking, you can make them do anything you want. Anything at all. Ha 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 ha. Is that all you got? No, but it got really weird after that. That wasn't weird enough? Well, after that, little Mark started talking about quantum events, redundant code and the purge. Um, then he started using multiple voices at the same time and I got a really bad headache and I started screaming. Um, I figured that either someone had included Reddit in his data set or that AI really does pose a way bigger threat than I've been telling everyone for the past few years. Uh, is this the bit where we had the finale and you burst into song? You know that a space opera isn't a musical, don't you? Star Wars is a space opera. You could have spent this entire episode pretending to be Yoda instead of trying to get me to sing. Be careful not to choke on your aspirations. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.